Exodus 22, 16, and 17. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And even the texts that are difficult to deal with, you've called us to study them and learn from them and apply them. So, Father, I pray for wisdom and discernment this morning as we go through this next section of the Book of the Covenant, that you would grace us with your Spirit that calls us to be different, that calls us to be holy, that calls us to come out from among the culture and be a people set apart for your glory. Be with us this morning as we study this. For all it's worth, we pray. Help us pull out from this law the core of it and apply it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? You nearly didn't want to miss it. We're glad you're here. I'll read it again. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and then lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. Full stop, end of sentence, there we are. What do we do with this? Is this culturally specific? Yes. Is it relevant for us today at all? We're continuing our trek through the Book of the Covenant. Uh, We've worked through laws about indentured slavery, which was fun, assault and battery, murder, a goring ox, and theft. And we've arrived... Here, these are descriptive of what is prescriptive, and we've seen the the laws of the Ten Commandments feed these descriptive laws of the Book of the Covenant. These are codes of how the nation of Israel should conduct itself as the covenant people of God. So, do you remember the scene? Let's step back. What's the scene of the picture here? How is Moses receiving these laws, this Book of the Covenant? What's going on? He's what? He's up on a mountain. And the cloud. He's in the cloud, and the people are. You talk to God. We don't. We don't want because he will die. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they're far away. He's up on the mountain. The darkness is there, covering the this this massive display of God's presence is there on the mountain. Moses is in there. And God is describing for Moses how his nature, how these ten words are to be played out, reflecting him in this nation of Israel. 
Okay? And he goes here. If a man seduces a virgin, God is speaking directly to Moses. These are the examples, the case law. And he goes here. Let me ask you a question. Is this an unwilling situation? No. Are the parties willing? Yes. yes. Right? Yes. Why are we talking about this? The parties are willing. It's still fornication. It's before marriage. What? This is not a rape case. We, we deal with, I mean, you can, I, could get, I can understand a rape case. We deal with that criminally. Um, this is a seduction. The word here literally means uh, persuades or entices. Uh, apparently, the woman involved in this is a willing participant She's been persuaded. Why make the distinction on whether or not she is betrothed? Why make that distinction? She's First, go ahead. She's betrothed, it's adultery, and then God gets stoned. Or she, they both get stoned. If, it's, if she's betrothed, it's adultery, and they both get the death penalty, the capital penalty. They both get stoned. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> I guess that would be my first thought, is that it might be a situation where well, and, and and here's the deal. We'll, we'll see in a second. The father has some some give on how to treat this. And I think and I think that's a situation where you would see that that play. Um, we should talk more. Um <laughs> What, what happens then if she's betrothed? There's the death penalty. Why is there no death penalty here? This is, well, first of all, what's this grounded in? What's, what's ten, well, of the Ten Commandments, of all the Ten Commandments, all ten of them, what would be the grounding for this law? What is it? Covet. Thou shalt not covet. Covet? Adultery. Adultery? Okay? Like theft, even. theft. Interesting. I had the same thought. This obviously doesn't set well with a lot of modern women, but um, like in that culture, it was basically like she was the property of her father. Right. Or if she was betrothed, then she, was, she belonged to the man she, right. she was betrothed. Right. So the theft here in this culture, in this time and context, and, and still in some cultures today, is the uh, monetary value of having a daughter, giving her a marriage, is that you get a bride price. So the, the, it could be considered a theft of the father's right to a bride price for his daughter. Or a theft of her virginity. Or a theft of her virginity. Okay. Which is worth the bride price. Which is worth the bride price. And, and just, just so we are all clear on the bride price... Um, in Deuteronomy, it talks about the bride price being 50 shekels of temple silver. Just so you know, that's how much it was. 50 shekels of temple Is that silver. Same price? 50. It was 30 for the slave price, which Judas gave for Jesus. 50 for the bride price for a virgin, which is about, gosh, what was that? Two to three years wages, I think? 
So we kind of think of like, oh, putting a price on a woman that's devaluing, but really this is that saying, like, women are really valuable. They have worth, they have value. Um, at least two years wages here for this, for this situation. All right. A betrothal is more binding than our modern engagements. We understand that, right? And, and you're smirking. I know this is difficult for me, too. Uh, the, the, the engagement in our culture is meh. Betrothal is a legal binding agreement in, in uh, Middle East, uh, ancient Middle Eastern culture. Um, the only, it bore the legal status of marriage and was only broken by a legal transaction. Um, if a, as we said before, if a man slept with a betrothed woman, it was considered adultery and worthy of the death penalty. What's the penalty here? What's the penalty? They have to marry. Yeah, the scripture doesn't really, this book of the covenant isn't so much for friends with benefits, right? It's not, it's not into that. Um, they have to marry. They're, he is obligated to take her as his wife and pay the bride price for her. She's a willing participant. But yes, there's a theft here. He entices her. He's, he, but she probably wouldn't be to... And she's marginalized now because she, she is no longer uh, a virgin. And in, that, and, and, and women are vulnerable in the, in the culture. He would be her only chance. Is that, um, and women are vulnerable in the culture. They need a covering, they need some kind of protection, and uh, he, he, he is obligated to marry her, pay the bride price, um, but, but, but what's the catch here? The father can say no. Think about that. The father could say no. Why would he say no? He seduced her, tricked her in some way. Um, it, it would be better to remain with her father the rest of her life, or at least have a, a very limited chance of being married elsewhere, than to be tied to this guy. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think it's an intentional uh, manipulation on his part. Right. The, the word here is actually uh, similar to a word, uh, word that's used of the serpent with Eve. Oh, okay. Very similar. Yeah. Well, maybe if he's willing to manipulate his daughter, then if he were to marry his daughter, he would manipulate the father as well. Maybe. Maybe he just didn't like him. I would think so. No. Uh, and they didn't have shotguns back then, but. Um, 
Who is the victim here? Oh, he can he can he can not approve of the marriage, but still demand the bride price, which is interesting. Um, incidentally, what happens to the guy if he can't pay the bride price? He becomes a slave. The collective dope all the way, you know. Um, what? Who is the victim here? Who's the victim? According to the law, who's the victim? The father? How so? How's a father the victim? So now he has a dependent, yeah. most likely, for the rest of his life, maybe hers. <laughs> um, he has to support her when he had the, the, the thought of taking the dowry, putting aside for her maintenance, you know, is generally the, the idea there. Um, the father has a property right in the bride price. The guy is guilty, but the girl is too. She was a willing participant. Here's the thought I had. If he's a player, and he's obligated to marry her, and he plays again, uh, what's that? That's death. So it sets him in a position of, we don't do this. And you do it again, there's death penalty involved. right? What's the penalty to her? What's the penalty to her? So, um, if this father says no, she's devalued in the culture and may not be able to be married again. Um, she's also, uh, if she marries the guy, this is not a um, quiet situation. Everybody knows, and everybody's interested to know, because it doesn't just involve these two people. It involves the whole society. Well, it can also involve the third party. You know, if she were to get pregnant, she would be... You know, a, there could be a baby involved, that's true. Um, this is a covenant document. And a covenant doesn't just involve these two people. What's going on here involves the entire culture. It's the whole society's problem. It's the whole society's failure is the way that it's viewed. Kevin, is there a precedent for this in other nations or in Israel before that this was became law? Uh, yeah, there are some similar, some similar um, laws to this. Um, no, not this particular issue, but, I mean, there, what generally would happen to a young man who seduces another man's daughter in other cultures. Um, there's a lot of undeveloped land in the Middle East, and the guy would just disappear. Remember Jack? No, I don't. <laughs> uh, that, that is a, uh, 
So what does this law operate as then? It's a mercy for him. Remember we talked about the mercy for a thief. Mercy for him and a mercy for her. It's a protection for her. It's a chance for forgiveness and restoration for him. She'd be his wife. So I guess just depending upon the, the character of the marriage, that, that would answer that question. I mean, that, it just depends. She would be his uh, dependent. He would be responsible for her. Something helpful, too, is when we think of marriage, we think of people in their 20s. Right. These are most likely teenagers, too. That's true. They could have been in early teens or 15, 16. Right. So the, the, the marriageable age was much younger. It hadn't been um, Americanized. There wasn't a progression of finish high school, finish, 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 yeah, living in your parents' basement for about 10 years <laughs> as you get through college, maybe. Um, and, then, and then once your prospects look pretty good that you can afford a, you know, an apartment, um, you, yeah, no, they were, they were to be working early and uh, preparing a, a place for um, their, their wife. I think it's interesting that in the context of these laws to think of Mary and Joseph. Mm. Um, because she should have been stoned. That's right. And yet he had chosen to try to put her away quietly before the angelic visit. To divorce her quietly. To divorce her right. quietly because they were betrothed and there she turns up pregnant. Um, and, and keying off of Mary, the Mary and Joseph thing, what happens to this couple for the rest of their lives in the culture? How are they viewed? Yeah, I mean, they would know what had happened. They would know why they're married. Um, they have a shared punishment as, as uh, being social outcasts and whispered about. Um, who wants the used, rejected, and now worthless. Her nakedness has been revealed and she has been used by a stranger. He is a thief of something precious and valuable. Who wants to be associated with these people in the culture? Why is this here? Why does this need to be here? Why are we reading it on Sunday morning? I think once again it shows the value of life think about, or maybe this is my mindset or the American mindset, is whenever you pay money for something, that's just property. It's just, it's property, it's it's devalued, it's whatever. But this, when you think of the bride price, is two to three years salary, that's actually way more valuable than what we even consider today to be valuable. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets married and they buy a ring, I don't even know what they're doing, three months is or six months or whatever. It's not two to three years salary. Depends on the ring. Okay. <laughs> Their salary usually is a lot higher than that. My point is, is that this shows the value of life a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's well, and the value of chastity, the value of virginity, uh, is 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 placed at, at. I mean, they put a dollar amount on it to function in the culture. But what's the what's the picture? This is a gift. It's it's, redemption. it's it's a redemption. It's a redemption of a mistake. Right.
Right. Um, this is not made criminal. They aren't immediately thrown into indentured servanthood. They aren't immediately thrown into prison. They aren't you know, stoned for this. It's not made criminal. And it's not punitive, really. I mean, what it does, it, it, it compels them to complete the covenant that they began wrongly. It's grounded in the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. But this isn't adultery. Is it? I mean, YOLO, right? Well, is it adultery from the perspective that they're not married? Like, regardless, in the sense that, okay, maybe the woman isn't betrothed to anybody in particular, but she's going to be at some point. So, maybe. Regardless, well, maybe. Regardless, she doesn't belong, or have, when we say belong, she's not in any way tied to the man who seduces her. So, it's, is it still a kind of adultery? Regardless of who you're tied to or not tied to, that is not your spouse. Right. Well, if we're looking at the, the, the bare requirements of the law as it's expressed in the culture from adultery, if she's not betrothed, that's not adultery. Okay. I mean, that's what it says. I mean, that, the, the penalty for adultery is stoning. This is a lighter deal. Just finish what you started. You're now married. You now need to be married, or if the dad says no because you're a, a putz, you know, this is not going to happen. Yes, and I am going to get to that. Um, all right. <clears throat> so, uh, Monday morning, when I read the next passage that we're going to go through the next Sunday, um, I, I, I read through this. And I thought, okay, maybe I can couple this with something else and just kind of, you know, breeze through it. Here it is. Um, the typical topic in the young adult class where the married teacher smugly wags his finger and says, ah, uh-uh. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Um... I know this is tough. The culture screams. Your bodies scream. Uh, that this is normal, and it's time to throw off restraint. I get that. Um, I remember uh, hearing at, at one point in my college days, a 25-year-old friend of mine saying, I'm 25, I should be having sex now. It's an entitlement. As a church, not specifically Sylvania, we're of one mind, but uh, as a church, generally, the, the, the broader uh, American church especially, we're of two minds about this. On one side, we think, when in Rome, everybody's doing it, and we look so judgmental and prudish when we say, you know, a little pleasure seeking by two consenting adults, we call that sin. How prudish is that? What are you, Puritans? The Stone Age, where a woman is sullied just because she takes on a lover rather than a husband. And guys aren't built for one woman anyway. It's in the DNA, right? That's one view. The other side says, oh, I'd never do that. And I'd never marry somebody who did that. Right? You heard that? 
There's two sides of this. For both mindsets, sex is an idol. It's an idol. A flashpoint for a deeper-rooted heart issue. One is prideful entitlement. The other is prideful self-righteousness. Uh, I heard a story once. What are the odds? Um, I think it's from Matt Chandler. He talked about how uh, there was a evangelist coming into town, and, and there was this girl he'd been witnessing to, and she came from really bad background, engaged in a lot of, a lot of sin and, and everything, and <clears throat> she, uh, she goes with him to the thing, and the guy gets up there, and, and of course, it was a young adult thing, and of course he's going to talk about sex. So he gets up there, and um, he, he, he has a rose. You heard the story? He has a rose, and it's a beautiful rose. It's, it's you know, just perfect, but I, we just got a Don Juan rose plant, and it's just beautiful, velvet, smells nice, perfect. And he says, look at this rose. It smells wonderful. It's soft to the touch. You know. <clears throat> I want everybody to take a smell of this rose. And then he goes on and does his thing and presents this very legalistic nonsense thing he called the gospel. And Matt Chandler, of course, is thinking of his friends sitting here next to this, next to him, hearing the gospel from this guy, supposedly, and he's just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And finally, at the end of the deal, he does, you know, the big altar call, where's my rose? Where's my rose? And somebody throws the rose to him on stage. Of course, it's gone through, you know, a few rows of, uh, of, of people, and it's all jacked up. I mean, it's like petals falling off, bent, broken, and, and just... And he holds it up, and he says, who would want this? And Matt Chandler's sitting there thinking of his friend, and he says, I wanted to stand up and scream, Jesus wants the rose. Isn't that the fundamental issue of the gospel? Christ pursues and persuades to betroth not a virgin, but a whore. Isn't that the gospel? Turn to Hosea 9.1. Rejoice not, O Israel. Exult not like the peoples. For you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. He lays out the problem. We've forsaken God. We've played the whore with other gods, other things that we deem more important and more valuable than who God is. And yet, as he works through in the prophet Hosea, something happens. Look at chapter 11, 8. We're just going to skim over this. I'm going to do a Tuesday night study through Hosea. Hosea 11, 8. He's going on about their sin. He's going on how they're, they're unfaithful to him. 
And then he says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? This compassion for his people that have played the whore against him. Look at Hosea 14.7. Look what happens. What does he do? Fourteen four. We'll start in verse four. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. What's going on there? He takes the worthless, the unfaithful, the whore, and covers her and transforms her little by little, day by day, bit by bit as the dawn is breaking you see a transformation where they will be his people and he will be their God, their only God. And where they've betrayed him, where they've been unfaithful, he takes them by his own compassion. He's compelled to do it and loves them and then places on them an obligation. Look at verse 8. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. He's calling them to be who they are as his people. He forgives them. He transforms them. He makes them new and then says, be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. Um, we receive uh, uh, money here at the church on occasion for what's called a designated gift. You ever heard of those? You know, you check the little box. This is for missions. This is for so-and-so's need or whatever. It's money that's given for a certain purpose, uh, for certain ministries or for mission opportunities. And we as a church are blessed by those gifts because it allows us to do things that we couldn't otherwise do um, to display the mercy and kindness of God. It blesses the giver of the money uh, as well and that their gift is used for the purpose for which it is given. We can't use that money for anything else than the purpose for which it was given. Your sexuality is a gift. It's not an entitlement. It's not a source of pride. It's a gift. It has a designated purpose. The purpose is not our pleasure. Although it can bless us that way, the purpose is to display faithfulness. The beauty of faithfulness in marriage or 
the beauty of faithfulness in singleness. Both are beautiful, and both honor and glorify the giver. We are called to faithfully use the gift for its purpose to show that Christ is enough. He's enough. Christ is enough for the husband whose wife is sick and that part of their marriage is put on hold for a season or is over. He is not entitled to a mistress. He is called to faithfulness. Christ is enough for the 30-year-old single adult who displays faithfulness through a chaste life, possibly for his or her entire life. We're not entitled to be married. It's not an entitlement. How are you going to handle that? Is he enough? Are you thankful submitting to Christ who is king over all things, even in this most personal of gifts? Is he enough? Sisters, is Christ enough for you not to participate in the exhibitionism of the culture to seek the gaze of strangers and demonstrate the unfaithfulness of your own heart? Is Christ enough for you so that you do not give yourself away for a fleeting time to feel beautiful and desired and then, in doing that, demonstrate the unfaithfulness of your heart toward Christ? Brothers, is Christ enough for you to abandon a sense of entitlement to the next conquest? Is Christ enough for you to guard your eyes and not click on that webpage that feeds your sense of control, sense of power, and sense of pleasure, and demonstrates the unfaithfulness of your heart? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What's the will of God for my life? Oh, if I could just know God's will. If we're not obeying what's clear, if we're not obeying what's clear, how do we know that will ever be in the will of God on things that are maybe not clear. It doesn't say don't just have intercourse. It doesn't say don't withhold from that. It says abstain from sexual immorality, and that's in all its forms. We don't parse words like Bill Clinton here. Flee from it. Don't mess with it. It's not yours to play with. It's his gift. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. First Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. <clears throat> Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, Or do you not know... 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Don't be persuaded. Don't be, persu- don't be seduced into thinking. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the kicker. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. I can't do this. I can't keep my thoughts pure. I can't restrain from pushing it a little further on a date. He raised Christ. He can raise us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Linger in sexual immorality. Hang out here. See how far you can go. What does it say? It says flee. Don't play with this. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're bought with a bride price. You're bought with a price. It's more than a few years' wages. It's the life of God Himself. And He paid for your failures here. He paid for mine. And He paid for the failures you've yet to commit as he's paid for mine. But we're called to something different. We're called to be distinct. We're called to reflect him in faithfulness in this area. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleaned. Made righteous by the blood of Christ. Be who you are. In Christ. When Jesus spoke of adultery of the heart, he didn't limit that look to just married women. Did he? If a man looks with lust on a woman, any woman, and by extension, if a woman looks with lust on a man, any man, it's adultery with her or him in the heart. 
is Christ enough for us that we repent of the unfaithfulness of our hearts? My heart, Tammy's heart, for you guys is the same, I pray, as that of the Apostle Paul. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. We all start sullied here. But the function of our being together, of studying the word, of living in community, of praying for one another, of holding each other accountable, is for one purpose and one purpose only. It's to present a body, a bride to Christ who is a chaste virgin, bought, bought by his blood, paid for and covered by his blood, but one who strives to reflect him, not the culture. Do we understand that? I mean, is that, we don't reflect the culture. We reflect him. And he was pure, holy, and undefiled. And we need to be striving. Not that we will ever get there on this side, but that should be the beat of our heart. Flee from it. Flee to him. Reflect him. I don't want to be that married teacher that wags the finger. I want to plead with you as a father pleads with a child. Because that's what I'm doing. Flee it. Love Jesus. Hate sin. Let's pray. Yes. Yeah, uh, just have to think about how to interact with the culture as this, these things come up and they ask maybe why we wouldn't do this. Uh-huh. What would be a good answer to tell them? Um, not that I'm better than you and why can't you control yourself. That's not an answer. The answer is um, that... Christ paid for me, and I want to reflect him out of gratefulness and thankfulness of what he's done and that he um, has purchased me with a price. Go to the cross. I think it's always a, a, any question like that. Um, I, I worry sometimes that we, that we pick our noses up a little bit. I don't want to do that ever. I, anytime somebody asks a question like that, we want to point to Christ and what he's done. Um, we come with bowed head. He has his head raised in victory, and we're with him. So we want to promote who he is in that, in, in that question. Is that helpful? Uh, yeah. Um, any, any other questions? Any other comments? I think yeah. you, um, this might be hard to explain to an, an unbeliever, but, but helpful for ourselves, is that um, marriage is, If you're in the role of marriage, that's what it displays. If you're single, your sexuality displays faithfulness to Christ, right? Well, you're still the bride of Christ, and that's the best way to say it. Sure. And, and the betrothal issue, although I don't know that an unbeliever really understand the whole 
Middle Eastern Israeli dynamic of betrothal. I don't know if you want to go down that road. Um, maybe later in a, maybe a Bethmore Bible study or something. Um, yeah. Was the bride price paid at betrothal? Yes. Yes. It was. Um, it was a guarantee of their inheritance until they acquired possession of it. What's the bride price for the Christian? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And he doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He convicts us through our interactions with each other, through our study of the word, um, through very awkward lessons on Sunday morning. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that um, in spite of my um, awkwardness and imperfection in expressing Scripture here, that your heart uh, has been displayed and is um, compelling to us. Are you enough? Would you be enough for us? Would you, by your Spirit, lift up Christ in our hearts above every stranger, above every idol? You are our King. We are servants. And you've given us gifts out of your kindness, out of your mercy, out of your goodness. How horrible it would be to defame you with the gifts that you yourself have given us. Through your own generosity, use those things to reflect something other than the one who is pure, holy, and undefiled. And yet we fail. We can't do it. Our minds drift and we think things we shouldn't. We need you every hour. Cause us to repent. Cause us to trust that you are sufficient for us in the area of sex. Cause us to be compassionate to those of our brothers and sisters and even those who are unbelievers who have failed here because we've all failed here at one element or another. There's no cause for pride here for the virgin and there's no cause for ungodly grief here for those who have failed sexually. Thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, pride, and sexual immorality. Cause us to live unto you and glorify our Father in heaven because we reflect him and the family that we belong to. Would you be enough? Christ's name, amen.